Michael. Thank you very much. It's great to be back here again and to see how your church is thriving and uh, always enjoyed our times with you in the past. Thank you for inviting me and the privilege of this pulpit. So, we had a reading that we're all familiar with. Uh, How many of you were a little disappointed? Uh, Maybe you thought, you know, I wish you'd gone into Malachi or something. I only know this. Never approach scriptures that are familiar without realizing the shepherd brings you little sheep into his pastures and God's grass grows overnight. And there'll be a little bit of nourishment, fresh grass, in every familiar piece of pasture that you've never seen before. And I'm going to share with you something that this little sheep or this old sheep (laughs) found in the verses that you just heard that are familiar, I know, because I know who's here and you're biblically very very literate, etc., etc. You know what we just read. And uh, I want to share something that surprised me at the beginning of the year, which is the reason that I'm going to take this passage today and share it with you. So let's start 40 days after Jesus was, uh, rose from the dead. Why did he hang around for 40 days? Why didn't he take the first plane home? Why, after what he'd been through, I cannot imagine the Son of God saying, done, finished. Well, he did it for obvious reasons. He wanted to make sure that certainly his own disciples, those 12, 11 men, uh, knew that he'd risen from the dead. I mean, even Thomas didn't believe after the resurrection even though other people began to say in those 40 days, it's true, we saw him, he appeared. 500 at one time, the the Bible says in Acts. He had to make sure that everybody knew he'd risen from the dead. If you've even got a Thomas who doubted it, out of the 12, Noah says Thomas, seeing is believing. Noah says Jesus, believing is seeing. walks through the wall, shows his hands to Thomas. Put your fingers in here. So even if one of his 12 disciples doubted that he was risen from the dead, uh, it's very possible that that's one reason. We know it's one reason. He had to make sure. He had to make sure they knew about the church, the body of Christ, his other family, us, That was very important that he was able to give the first disciples some knowledge of that. He had to make sure that they wouldn't go home to Galilee tomorrow. Don't you think every single one of them didn't want to hang around after what they'd just been through? And knowing that the Jews are looking for them in the upper room to put them on the cross as well? I would have got myself back to Galilee the next day. Whatever I believed about Jesus coming back. And probably most of the disciples thought it was done. They heard about Jesus in his resurrection body. 
doing incredible things. So, oh, he's going to do it. He's come back. Well, we gave it our best shot. We've done all these times and three and a half years. We left our families. Have you ever wondered how they managed? They were poor fishermen. Peter never caught anything. Have you noticed? (laughs) He was a lousy fisherman. We know they were poor. And Peter took off. And so did James and John, his partners in his business. Have you ever thought how the wives and kids manage for three and a half years? Don't you think after staying around for those 40 days, and it must have been hard, they wanted to hide themselves back, the women were with them. Let's go home. Who was looking after the kids? Who's looking after the mother-in-law? Da, 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 da. And Jesus said, no. You stay around in the upper room. He didn't say, you're going to stay a long more time than you realize, and I'm going to send you out to the ends of the earth. You're not going home. None of you are going home. Not one of them did. Their wives joined them, most of their wives. Some of the wives were in the upper room, never went home. So, what does it mean they're convinced Jesus is real? They've seen the miracles that have happened even after the resurrection in those 40 days with their own eyes. Thomas has put his hands in the wounds. Jesus, during that 40 days, said, Now I'll meet you on the mountain, okay? I'll meet you on the mountain in Galilee. And here he is in his resurrection body, saying what he's going to say in other words a few days later or a week later back in Jerusalem. I'm going, you're staying, as the ascension began to happen. I I love the verse, incidentally, in Acts 1.8, which tells us that they were on that mountain near Bethany when he rose from the dead and went back, uh, when he went back to heaven. And, uh, He reminds them of what he wants them to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go where you're sent. Stay where you're put. And still God leads you out as surely as he led you in, right? And lo, I'm with you always, etc. And go into all the world and teach them everything I've taught you. That'll take a lifetime. Make disciples to make disciples to make disciples to make disciples. All of you. So it just staggered me when I saw three little words I'd never seen in all these years. Some doubted, but some doubted. Did you see that in the reading? He just told them, some doubted? He's standing there in his resurrection body on the mountain. He told them to meet as he gives his great commission. What did they doubt? Was it doubting they were hearing... (laughs) These words he was speaking, was it doubting it was really him all over again? Doubting they were hearing correctly? And what did they mean? Hey, can't we go home? You're here. You've been here 40 days. You're going to stay forever. You're going to do it. But he stayed around until he got them to understand. He was risen from the dead. 
the other family, we have two families, remember. We have our own and the family of God. And it was a new day. It would never be the same for them. They'd only just begun, you see. And they were to stay until they were endued from power on high. What did that mean to them? They had no idea until Pentecost happened. He never calls without equipping. That would be quite unfair. The ridiculous thing he told those 12, most of them fishermen, probably uneducated, etc. You're going to do it. And then, in a sense, he asked them, are you all in? Have you given me all your heart? So when I saw those three little words, but some doubted, I took a month to go into what they were. And I found a whole new challenge to my own heart. It's for life, guys. It's not until we decide we've had enough, however old we are. All your life, for all your days, are mine. And whether you tell me to stay in Jerusalem, which he did to some of them, or go to Judea, which he did for some of them, or Samaria, or the uttermost parts of the world, which some did of them, it's a question of where he sends us and when he sends us. But it's also a question of being all in and not doubting because that word, doubt, means these different things in the language. And this was a revelation to me. It's used in Revelation 3.20. Jesus in his resurrection body knocking on the door, if you wish, of one of the family of the body of Christ in Laodicea. And uh, I need to come in and revive this church, bring new life to it, because some of you are doubting. It means half-hearted. It means hesitate. Different places. Peter walking on the water. Why wouldn't Peter be walking on the water, right? <laughs> I love Peter. As I say, he was a lousy fisherman. He never caught any fish. But he'd get out of the boat because Jesus said, get out of the boat. Sometimes God says to us, get out of the boat. What? Do what? Go. Yes. Go on. Well done, Peter. And while he kept his eyes on Jesus, he walked on water. And then he took his eyes off because it was pretty rough out there. And as soon as he took his eyes away from Jesus, he began to sink. The word there, doubted, is hesitated. Oops, what am I doing? I'm out here in the water. <laughs> and he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. The same word, doubted, in their language is used in there. It's used, Jesus, trying to revive the hearts, bring new life, new realization that you're all in. Or maybe you're hesitating. It was a wonderful church, but he began to hesitate. No, I, 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 don't, I don't want to leave my family. Hey, I gave it all I could, etc., etc. But not now. It's also used mainly, the word, as having 
two minds. I think we have a phrase. I'm in two minds what to do. It's to do with your thinking. Look, it's just ridiculous. Did you hear him say, says one to the other, we don't know who they were. Being inquisitive, I want to know which of the disciples were doubting. (laughs) Well, it wasn't Thomas. He was convinced. He was all in. It doesn't really matter who they were. Out of 11 disciples left, Judas has gone to his reward. The disciples of Jesus were hesitating at that point. What's that got to do with you and me? We can hesitate any time in our lives after we've accepted Jesus. We can be in two minds about what we do for God. Any time and any age of our lives. And my challenge that came to me from God himself when I found this out was, I don't care how old you are. My husband's going to be 90 this year. As I told the last two meetings, I thought I was 84, but I'm not. Somebody kindly told me I was only 83. (laughs) So glad I came. (laughs) Seriously. I've lied about it so much. That's the thing. I couldn't remember. (laughs) But yes, I don't care how old you are. It's for life. It's until he says, come home. Now, he's got our date when we go home. Psalm 139, 9 to 11. Every day ordained for you is written in my book before one of them comes to be. Even the day you were born, even the day you'll come to heaven. He's written it down. Why has he written it down? Because he knows what he wants us to do for him every day until his day we're done. Never done till you're done, guys. One of the things that would cause me and has caused me to, to, to quit is old age. And yet, Stuart and I have just written a book called Improving with Age. And we're using it in all those five-stage places, the secular places. We're getting them to do a book club, and then we come in for a whole day. We had 200 in a secular place like that not long ago. And uh, all the old people just like us. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story very quickly because I don't have too much time. But I have a little. (laughs) Uh, In that very place incredible. Some friends of ours who didn't need to go into that five stage early went in simply to reach in that secular place, that secular place. And they got 200 people out of independent living. And they'd had a Bible study. They literally went in five years too early before they needed to. God said, come on in early. It's a mission field. It's a mission field. And so Stuart and I got the joy of going as guest speakers the very first time he'd brought in anyone for the whole day. And so Stuart said, what are we going to do? I'll do the first hour, Jill, you do the second. And we sorted out what we'd do for the whole day. And I needed to go to the ladies' room in the middle of Stuart's first thing. So I went out, and everyone watched me walk out the door, and off I went. 
And it was brand new and everything looked alike. And so when I came out of the ladies' room, I turned the wrong direction. And I couldn't find my way back. It all looked the same. And it was going to be my time to talk, so I'm panicking. And uh, there were three men mending a window. And I said, excuse me. And I didn't want to say, because it was a secular place, there's a guy preaching. So I said, somewhere in here, there's a man with a loud voice. And I don't know where. And uh, two of them left the window. One came this side. One came that side. One came behind me. (laughs) And I realized they mistook me for an inmate. (laughs) Yes, huh? (laughs) I, I didn't know what to do. So... I tried to explain, and the more I tried to explain, the more harder they gripped me. They turned me around, and I thought, they're taking me to the fourth stage place. (laughs) And so the more I tried to explain, and I was now being sort of half pushed and carried, I have no idea where they were taking me. I had my suspicions. And the more tightly they held me. And now I could hear my husband's voice, and I thought, oh, my word, his back would be... here, the 200 people would be in front, and I'm here, they would see me carried in by these men. So I just got panicked, and I was going, get off me, get off me. And then they gripped tighter, and I said, that's my husband. And that shocked them, and they let go, and I ran in. I know Stuart thought, what is she doing? And I ran to the back row and hid, literally. Um, as I'm hiding there I hear my husband say well thank you for the interruption Jill never mind and off, off, off he went but you know something what that thing did for me it's an incredible story but I was there for those three men after the day was over I went and found one of them and I told him about Jesus God is a God of perfect timing, guys. And one way or another, he'll get us where we do not want to go. And what I love about being sent and going is the surprises of obedience to God. However difficult it is, however long it takes, whatever it costs you, don't dare to step out of the will of God for you. Don't doubt. Don't be half-minded. Whenever I find something that means a lot to me, and this discovery did, uh, help me make some hard decisions about the rest of my life, however short or long it is. But I write a poem. If I was musical, I'd love to go to the piano and let all my emotions out. I have to wait to heaven to get a voice to praise you, Lord. You didn't give me that, but you gave me the gift of words. And so when Stuart doesn't know what to do with me, he says, go and write a poem for heaven's sake. (laughs) So let me read this. It's called Meet Me on the Mountain. Have you met him at the lakeside? Did you hear his still small voice? Did he call you there to follow him and say you have a choice? And did half of you say yes, Lord, and have half a mind to start? 
Did you think he didn't notice when you gave him half your heart? He saw it on the day he met disciples on the mountain. He gave them all another chance to make their whole lives count. Some said that day, what comes my way, O Lord, I'll do my part. Dear Lord, I'll be obedient and give you all my heart. I love for you. I'll speak the truth. I'll tell the gospel story. I'll live from this day forward and give you all the glory. Where'er you send me, use me, bend me. I will speak for you. Help me glorify your name. Be with me. See me through. So as we leave this mountaintop, will you go for him or stay? Continue on half-heartedly or give it all away? Will you yield yourself from this day on? Receive the Spirit's call. Say, Jesus, I give all to you, not half my heart, my all. That doesn't just happen at your conversion. For the rest of your life, you'll stand on the mountain in the presence of the risen Christ, and he'll tell you to go somewhere and do something, and most of us will doubt. Now? At my age? I'm I'm sick. I I mean, I need to be near a hospital, etc., etc. Do we think he doesn't see us in those moments of decision? How is it with you? So what does the devil do to stop us being all in? What did he do to those disciples? I I commend to you to do a biblical search of what happened to them all and where they all ended up, Thomas and India. It's fascinating, incredible. Thomas, of all people, was one of the first people to go to another country, etc., etc., of all of the disciples. So dig in, little sheep. Go graze some new grass in a familiar part of the Scriptures. So, how do we stay obedient? And what does the devil do? Well, the devil does many things. He was doing it on the mountain at those times. He does many things because he told them to go and stay until the Spirit came in. God never calls without equipping. Pentecost happened, and all the men and women... Remember his mother was there in the upper room? She received Jesus twice, didn't she? God in embryo, growing to birth size, a baby boy became. He did that for us too. Lord, thank I can't believe it. And now here Mary is at Pentecost, and she receives the Spirit. I have to get my mind around that. And Mary, as well as all of them, when the Spirit fell, all the people in the upper room went out. A mission began that day, including the women. You know the rest of the story. So it wasn't just the disciples. It was everybody in the upper room. It was men. It was women. It was old people, Nathaniel. Do you think he wanted to go to the ends of the world? They say he was an old man. He was wise. An Israelite in whom is no guile, Jesus said. Yes, come on, be my disciple. 
How did he manage for those three and a half years? I have no idea. He's on the mountain. Was it Nathaniel that said, it's your turn to the youth in the group. Your turn. We've done our bit. No, Nathaniel went too. I want to be like Nathaniel. Haven't always wanted to, Lord. Don't let me miss it. I very nearly brought our missionary life for a youth work to a close because I couldn't do with my husband's absence. You cannot be an evangelist and stay home. You cannot be a church planter and stay home. You cannot be a mission planter and stay home. And we joined a situation we chose from three different missions that wanted us to go out of business. Stuart was a bank inspector. I was a teacher in the slums of Liverpool. Both of us had started youth work. <laughs> we wouldn't call it that. Me in the pubs and the... I had gang kids in my, in my uh, class. So I needed to follow them and find out where they were getting their drugs and things and fell into a ministry to those, to those kids in Liverpool. Stuart was a bank inspector. He was, I told the other two classes, you're not class, forgive me, people, uh, um, the other time that he, he was um, finding criminals in the bank and arresting them. He was on the inspection staff to the chief inspection at 28, at the top of his career, being asked or looked at to go to the common market to start it. So he was up here, 28 years of age. I, wasn't, I was a lowly public school teacher in the back end of Liverpool. Now, my only claim to fame is the Beatles had just started down the corner. They were 17, nobody knew who they'd be, what's-his-name, hadn't discovered them yet. And it was the only clean place that I could send my kids. I'd been in all the other places. Every day that my 13-year-old gang kids, chains on their backs, broken bottles in their pockets, they'd bring to school to put new face. Yeah, that was my class. And uh, I tell you, it wasn't up to me to go into all those places and start and reach them for Christ. I come from wealth, small doubt Nabby. Before I was saved... If I'd seen those kids coming on the street, I would have crossed the other side. Conversion for me meant my feet would start and go the other way to walk into those kids and say, okay, God, how do we do this? And to see miracles happen. And then I met Stuart, who was doing the same thing in his spare time as a bank inspector. So he was catching criminals in the bank. I was teaching them in the classroom. So we had a lot in common. We became missionaries. And we chose the thing we could do together out of two missions. One, it would have meant it was working with military worldwide. And uh, that would have meant he traveled. So we actually chose Capenry so we could do it together. And then three years later, Major Thomas was given castles and all of this. And he walked into my husband and said, Get out from behind that desk. This is what I'm doing. Uh, I need you to help me. And that began those absences that we were not expecting. But when you say any time, any place, anywhere, he takes you at your word. Takes you at your word. So expect the unexpected, will you?
if you dare to say, I'm all in. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how well you are. Do you love Jesus? Can you look back to the time you said, come into my heart, Lord Jesus? How's your heart? Is it divided? Is it hesitating? What's happening inside? My time is up. But I couldn't do anything better than invite you to come into the throne room with me on this mountain. So just shut your eyes. And I would like to leave you with this challenge. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. And teach them everything I've taught you. Make disciples to make disciples to make disciples for the rest of your life. For the majority of us, it will be in Nazareth. Maybe for the rest of the 30 years you gave us to live here on earth. I don't know. The important thing is, I want you to look into your hearts and ask you, have you hesitated? It's the youth's turn. I've given three years. I've given 30 years. Who are you, Nathaniel, Peter, James, John? Whoever it was that in that incredible moment had half a heart to say yes. Maybe you want to visit that in the quietness as this music helps us focus on Jesus. You answer him as you sit there today. However old you are, however sick you are, however well you are, However, however you are, please hear his voice. Never too late. Give him all your heart.